0: Hello and welcome to the Star Trek Academy, a weekly podcast about the latest new episode of Star Trek. This week we're looking at season three, episode six of Star Trek: Discovery, Scavengers. Your hosts are two of the academy faculty members. I'm Dr. Michael Merrick. I'm the media guy,
1: and I'm Dr. Rodney Cup, the philosophy guy. Our website is the Star Trek Academy You can find links there to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're also available on a lot of podcast sites that you can find linked at that website. And some of those sites, like iTunes, allow reviews. So if you like our podcast, go ahead and leave us a review to help more people find us. We'd appreciate it.
0: I have to start with a a note. Last week, I, I said something wrong last week. Last week, I said that we were halfway through the current season of Discovery uh, after five episodes, but that's incorrect. There are actually 12 episodes this season. So after this episode we're talking about today, now we're halfway through. And I also confess that I mispronounced a couple of things last week. And uh, for our listeners, you get bonus points if you send a direct message to our Twitter account and tell me what they were that I mispronounced
1: okay i did i mispronounce some things too probably
0: Uh, it was just me i think yeah
1: really okay i just a couple i kind of doubt that but anyway uh to get us started here we begin with a summary of this week's episode and we're trying to keep them short but beware there are spoilers here and michael will do the honors this week
0: Yes. So it's uh, two or three weeks after last episode. We're not completely clear, but Discovery has received several upgrades, including smart matter control panels. Cleveland Booker's ship arrives at Federation headquarters without him but he leaves a message he says he thinks he's found uh, a black box from a ship destroyed in the burn and we learn that Burnham already has two of these little devices and hopes that a third uh, can be found to provide them more information about what really happened during the burn the two she has sh- so far shows that it happened on different ships at very slightly different times so she hopes that finding a third black black box, will provide more data that can help them figure out the origin of the burn, because it apparently came from some direction and hit different ships at slightly different times. But Book is apparently in trouble because he left a message saying, if I'm not back to the ship in a certain amount of time, I'll send it to come find you. And so in kind of a Beckett Mariner moment, Burnham and Giorgio rush off without permission to rescue him and also find that black box device. They find him captive on an Andorian Orion syndicate salvage world. They help him and many other captives there escape, but not before Giorgio experiences another one of these episodes she has been having in which she has flashbacks or visions that are really kind of gruesome. And it appears to be at least among other things, a flashback of someone dying. Back on Discovery, Burnham and Book admit their feelings for each other, finally, and kiss. But Burnham then receives a major heavy-duty reprimand from Admiral Vance from going off without permission at a time when Discovery might have needed its first officer for an urgent mission. He also reprimands Saru for not informing him about the black box. He said he might have thought the intel was worth the risk if he'd been informed. As discipline, Saru removes Burnham as first officer, but she will continue as Discovery's science officer.
1: All right. So let's go ahead and look at some of the individual elements we have noticed in the episode and thought were significant in some way. And we have a a uh, pretty exciting opening shot for this episode we get an exterior view of discovery which has been and is being retrofitted and we learn that discovery's registry number has an a after it now it's ncc1031a which is pretty exciting
0: There's a lot of speculation as to why they did that. If it's just because there are enough changes, or is it part of keeping secret the fact that they have the spore drive? That this is not really the 930-year-old ship. It's just uh, it's just one like it that we put the A on. But we'll see how that plays out. The ship discovery does have many upgrades, including the warp nacelles are now detached, which we have learned lots of other ships have also but somehow they're still connected and we don't know details but maybe by a force fields or something so the warp nacelles are still doing what warp nacelles do it's just that it's not a physical connection to the ship and i have to say i'm not sure that idea works for me but we'll we'll see what they do with it
1: i'm not sure it works for me either frankly
0: but it did raise the question for me, just how many starships does this new Starfleet have? When we saw the Admiral's briefing, there were about, I counted, nine ship captains. And is that all they have right at the moment at headquarters for assignment? But we also don't know how many are out on assignment. Some of these assignments clearly last for months. And so it does kind of help emphasize how thinly stretched Starfleet appears to be. It's kind of fun that one of them was named the Le Guin, presumably um, named after fantasy and science fiction author uh, Ursula Le Guin.
1: Right. We should probably mention these new badges they have. They act as personal transporters, of course, tricorders also, and they have a holographic display pads i like to call them swiss army badges how does that sound to you michael
0: i think that they're officially being called tricom badges but yeah swiss army badges that that works that works too (laughs) I also can't get past noticing that when Book's ship shows up, it's it's unmanned, Grudge is on board, and the ship hails Discovery. And when the video comes on, it really looks to me like Grudge is the one who turned on the signal. Video comes on and Grudge is like kind of pulling back into the view of the camera. And I have noted, I think, in previous episodes, and lots of fans have also agreed that would be cool if grudge was a, a sentient shape changer like isis was in in the original series mm-hmm. uh, I, I found an article in which the actor who plays book david Dejala, was asked and he says as far as he knows grudge is not a shape shifter but he also admits the writers don't tell him everything at least that says to me we probably won't see grudge as a shape shifter this season but who knows
1: I think it would make sense to me if if Grudge is just an ordinary cat. I mean, you know, Grudge saves animals uh, in his spare time, transforms in particular. And that's just the kind of person you'd expect to have a uh, furry friend on his ship. But I, I we'll could, see what happens. I
0: could see that, but I, I was also, th- also thinking... We have not seen that many cats in all of Star Trek. I can only think of three other cats, one of which was was uh, Spot, data's pet cat. But the other two were Isis, and then the kind of magic cat in Cat's paw in in the original series episode, which was kind of a Halloween episode. right. Though so of the previous cats we've seen, two of the three were shape changers. So we will <laughs> we will see here. We will see. I couldn't also help notice that this emerald chain planet they went to can't have been very far away from Federation Starfleet headquarters. Burnham thought she could get there and back in 12 hours uh, in book ship. And in the next generation era, Earth to Alpha Centauri and back would have been like a day and a half. And even if book ship can go faster than than the enterprise d could could it go that much faster that this planet was so far away
1: you know i mean it's it's interesting you bring this up because when i was watching this episode i was wondering and maybe you can help me out here because i don't remember what kind of drive does books ship have to begin with um well, is it faster than a is it as some sort of you know super fast drive or something I don't know.
0: in in the first episode he needed dilithium which implies that he uses warp drive. Mm -hmm. He mentioned slipstream drive, which we have seen before in in Voyager, but Mm. he also mentioned there's some kind of Metal or substance needed for that, which was almost impossible to find. I think mm. the assumption, the 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 implication is that he has some kind of, of warp drive. Uh, and remember, they mentioned that when Burnham popped out of the the time vortex, she broke his dilithium recrystallizer. Oh,
1: right, right.
0: So he apparently has some scraps of dilithium, plus the ones that she gave him, and has been been making do. Uh, but again supposedly there isn't that much dilithium, so whoever's got it has got it, and whoever doesn't isn't probably going to get some. We also had a really overt scene of his ship reconfiguring, and kind of like the warp nacelles are not connected, there were lots of his ships that just came apart almost like a jigsaw puzzle, and then reconnected back together I don't know why they're doing that what the what the purpose is other than ooh, that's glitzy
1: that's what I'm worried about I mean it looks cool why are they doing it though I got I'm it's uh I'm, I'm wondering about that myself
0: and also in this episode Burnham claims at least she had her own ship but we don't know anything about that and the implication is she spent most of her time in the year before Discovery showed up on Book's ship so we'll see when we get to the to the syndicate, Osira seems to be kind of the Orion overlord thereabouts. And and remember that Orion culture historically has been female dominated. Fans have tried a lot to interpret what we've seen in various Star Trek episodes, various seasons about the Orions. Some people claim that at a certain point of time the men took over from the female-dominated culture we don't really know, but having a woman in charge of at least this salvage planet as part of the Orion and Dorian Syndicate made a connection there for me. Mm -hmm. Something that took me out of the episode was when Adira referred to Stamets as the bomb, and that is a very current cultural usage
1: yes it is
0: and it it didn't connect to me as something they would still be saying as slang a thousand years in the future or more stamets conversation with adira did kind of remind me about about wesley crusher and even particularly about what the traveler said about wesley reference to having extraordinary abilities so that was a nice moment
1: yeah i mean they they keep talking about they keep mentioning that adira is 16 you know but she's no ordinary 16 year old person i mean she has the memories of the previous hosts and wouldn't that explain <laughs> many of her abilities
0: it certainly could yeah uh, but she apparently was pretty sharp before she reconnected to those previous hosts like when we the episode where we first met her that she was modifying technology that is technology. true uh, that and is maybe true. some of that was just leaking through without her knowing knowing about it. But uh, um, so, but it is interesting that, again, we have a teenage, I won't say super genius, but we have someone <laughs> who's very much an analog to to Wesley. Mm-hmm. What did you think of Lioness popping in and out with his personal transporter?
1: For me, I mean, that was obviously the, the humor of the episode. Uh, I found it a bit tedious. That, that's just my perspective on it, I guess. It's kind of
0: like once you're a wit, twice you're a half wit, and however many times they did it in this episode, more like three or four times, yeah. Overdone. Another question I have just to see now that Book and Burnham are an item, and at least it's apparently going to be more or less out in the open, what happens to Book And my first thought was he can't just join the crew by default, can he? But we don't really know what the dynamic here is going to be, what what Burnham is going to do or what.
1: Well, you remember how he felt about wearing that uniform briefly when the ship was being inspected at Earth. I can't see him joining the crew, but it's a big question. I don't know.
0: We'll have to see. We'll have to see. It was just a question I had. But I want to talk a little bit more now about the whole reprimand. I thought that Vance, as Admiral, really had a pretty enlightened approach to his reprimand, particularly that point about getting Burnham to tell him what he was (laughs) going to say. I thought that in, in terms of a management approach to essentially reprimanding a subordinate. I thought that was pretty enlightened, and and leaving discipline to Saru. I thought I, I thought that was a a nice way of approaching it. An admirable admiral, you might say.
1: An admirable uh, admiral.
0: That's what I said. Yes. That's and, a tongue twister. And also, his his. I mean, he was essentially reprimanding Saru also for not telling him that this device was out there. But now we're left wondering who the new number one is going to be.
1: Yes, we are.
0: And I mean, emotionally, I would like it to be Kayla Detmer, but she's kind of broken right now. And either they're going to be her number one, and she's going to have big trouble with it, or they're going to go some other direction. Of the regular bridge crew, Kayla and Lieutenant Reese, who's the Asian bridge crew member, and Lieutenant Nielsen, who was the woman who replaced Arium and, by the way, is played by the same actress. Those are the three lieutenants. Owo and Bryce and Linus are lieutenants junior grade, so they're of lower rank, and presumably the first officer is of higher rank. So unless they use it as a way to have Kayla continue to be broken and have troubles and stuff like that, I'm imagining it will be Reese or Nielsen Nielsen has been in charge of the bridge at headquarters. When Burnham yes. left, someone command to go to the seed vault. She left Reese in command. So either I think it's going to be Kayla or or maybe Reese, but we'll see.
1: Or or uh, Nielsen, right?
0: Well, yeah, but the implication is she's less experienced because we only put her in command. When we're at oh, I see right. Nothing's going to happen in terms of just their rank, their Starfleet rank. It could be any of the three of those, or in theory, it could be Stamets or somebody else.
1: Um, so it's it's quite common for pilots to be take a command path, right, to become first officer and even captain. So Detmer seems like the natural choice, but I be. think they're aware that she's having some serious problems now. So I, I can't see that happening.
0: I mean, in theory, it could be Tilly also. And I think she's been promoted, but I don't remember what her rank is now. I
1: think um, she's still an ensign, right? Um, I'm or not, no? I'm
0: not sure. Did she get promoted to like Lieutenant Junior grade? I don't know. I, I, didn't, don't I remember. didn't check that out before before coming up with my list here.
1: I, I don't think it can be Tilly. <laughs> I mean, as capable as she is, they probably need her in engineering, right? Along with Stamets and Reno. Could it's well it's got to be, be someone on the bridge, be, yeah. right? Yeah. Anyway, at the end of the episode, we see Burnham remove her Swiss Army badge, and you know what this suggests? I, I, this suggests that she's leaving Starfleet, does it not?
0: Wearing the badge in the, in past Star Trek has always kind of signified being being in Starfleet, being part of the deal. In the first season of Discovery, the first several episodes, Burnham, when she was in trouble. Uh, did not wear a badge she didn't get to wear a badge i think guests on board don't wear badges i remember a next generation episode i don't remember which it was but Worf took his badge off not because he was resigning or something like that but just because he didn't want to be tracked by the computer so i don't know if she's resigning from starfleet oh. then that would answer my question of a few minutes ago about her relationship with book they just go off on on his ship and they're happy as clams but the series is discovery so i'm not sure you know <laughs> well that's maybe gonna work for the long term
1: it seems like her primary goal here is to find out what caused the burn and and that's maybe her way of serving starfleet and she thinks she can't do it within starfleet so maybe she's going rogue she doesn't want to be tracked maybe that's it she's going rogue again
0: again going beckett mariner yet again so we'll see well we've we've kind of pulled apart a lot of the details of the episode but we also want to take time to talk about the underlying meaning of the episode what are the messages that the writers and the producers wanted us to take away from this episode
1: i think that maybe the, we're starting to see the development of a major theme for this for the season and that is this internal conflict in burnham as A member of Starfleet, former First Officer, she has or had immediate duties to Admiral Vance and to to her Captain Saru and also to Discovery and its crew. But she also has, I think she would say, a, a duty to the greater good, and that is discovering the source of the burn, which she believes is necessary to stabilize Starfleet. So, I feel like Maybe we're going to see this conflict play out during the course of the season and, and maybe even beyond. We're, we don't know at this point. And I wish I had more to say about uh, this conflict right now, but well, uh, I just well, wanted to note that it's there.
0: I think so. And in fiction, and yes, I confess, Star Trek is fiction but in fiction (laughs) conflict is important but you can have conflict like the war stories and that kind of thing if you will external conflict but i often find that when the conflict is emotional within a character It's a stronger story and you've just described some pretty strong conflict that Michael Burnham has within her character of balancing or trying to chart the course among multiple priorities. So I think, I think that that's insightful and, and it's, and it's something that we'll watch play out. I was interested in the discussion, and it's between uh, Adira and Stamets, about life and death, and particularly life and death not being a linear thing. Mm. And we've seen this in Star Trek before. Deep Space Nine had had a storyline, an extended storyline, essentially related to that having to do with the Prophets. Uh, the wormhole aliens who didn't understand linear time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the nexus in Generations was sort of that kind of thing. Spock died, of course, and came back in The Wrath of Khan and The Search for Spock. And we learned that the consciousness of Vulcans can survive. And also the people of Erit had the consciousness of of people surviving thousands of years in those, in those funny round spheres. So... I think it is a a strong philosophical point in the episode but i didn't really see it as as a theme
1: right it wasn't strong enough to be a theme perhaps but you know i there's i feel like there's a lot going on and uh you you know with all these things we're noticing and and it would be nice to be able to spend more time thinking about them but this one point that you're making here i agree with it but i didn't really think about it too much What I did notice, or what I thought was the theme of the episode, was um, trust. And I I find it helpful, you know, when I'm thinking about these episodes to think about all the storylines and what they have in common. And so, we have the main or the primary storyline, I think, here is is Burnham's unsanctioned mission. And Saru notes several times that um, his trust in Burnham has been severely shaken by all of this. So, we get it there. We also see that Georgiou, uh, not surprising, isn't really ready to trust anyone, I suppose, uh, not the crew of Discovery and, and not even Burnham, which to me is a, a little odd. Y- you get the feeling that Giorgio is uh, a master at reading people, and you, you even think maybe sometimes she knows them better than they know themselves. She seems to know Burnham very well, but she cannot trust her. And also, we saw Adira in a in a minor storyline, putting her trust in Stamets and confessing to him that that she's actually talking somehow to the her the soul of her boyfriend. So we've got those three storylines, and and that seems to be the strand that's tying them all together is is trust.
0: I think an additional one is Tilly essentially counseling Saru that he has to go to the Admiral and report Burnham because if the Admiral finds out about Burnham going rogue and and Saru wasn't the one to report it, then there'll be questions of trust about the entire Discovery crew.
1: That is a good point. I hadn't thought about that. And also I thought it was extraordinary that, that it seemed as if Saru is, um, what am I trying to say here? You know, you, usually you'd expect a captain to confide in senior officers when looking for advice or counsel. And and here he is uh, talking to Tilly, which, I mean, maybe, you know, Tilly is the badass uh, ensign that Mariner wants to be, right?
0: Kind of. But, you know, I, I have noticed that there aren't very many. I mean, you're talking about senior staff. Who's he got for senior staff? He's got lieutenants. I mean, Burnham is a commander, uh, but even... Stamets is a lieutenant. He, you know the the intermediate ranks, commanders, lieutenant commanders. He hasn't got any of those, so it's you know the the higher rank officers are himself in Burnham, and then he's down to the lieutenant grades. Hmm. They
1: need to start promoting people.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll see what future Star Trek criteria has for for promoting you know i and 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 i agree with you about trust being a theme here and when i first started making my notes that's one of the first things i wrote down but as i thought about it more i'm seeing something else and i and i think it's possible to have more than one theme in an episode sure and trust uh, a theme of this episode but a lo- maybe a longer term theme that i think is originating now is, I think, redemption is an important theme that we're seeing here. It's not really stated explicitly, but but in fiction, this idea of redemption is powerful about a character trying to make up for past bad acts or, or for shame. And just kind of looking within the science fiction genre, uh, in Harry Potter, Snape was a story about redemption. He essentially spied on um, He Who Shall Not Be Named, to make up for not preventing Lily from being killed. Still in the science fiction genre, remember Angel from Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Angel, that was a, that was a character redemption arc for him. And in Next Generation, there is a, um, an ongoing story of Worf being discommodated and then seeking redemption from that discommodation. And I, and this is triggered in my mind because of Giorgio's flashbacks. For whatever reason, she's experiencing, we assume they're flashbacks to what appear to be evil things she's done in the past. But I see this as a, as a character arc that will essentially make her more likable for, for a series a series lead. And, and so we have Giorgio. On top of that, Burnham is obviously going to, in some way, shape, or form, look for redemption from her demotion from being, from being first officer. But thinking about how the producers are coming at this, these visions of Giorgio, they've done that before. You had, in Picard, you had Agnes's vision, mm. which we saw in multiple episodes, little blips of, and then finally we saw more of.
1: Right, we also had, um, in the season one of Discovery, we had Ash Tyler's visions, right, that we were trying yeah. to uh, interpret.
0: <laughs> right, right. So, and, and, and the producers are doing this here in Discovery in a way that's very similar to, to both of those. So my prediction is, we're going to be seeing the the short snippets we're going to be seeing fleshed out in more detail in the future and they're going to transform into a coherent story and the visions as we've seen them so far are just filled with with death and destruction but they keep coming back to that vision of presumably giorgio's hand that's bloody and this metaphor of blood on her hands that's a that's a common metaphor for guilt
1: Right. You know that that makes me think of Macbeth, right? Lady Macbeth wanting to find some ha- some way to wash the blood from her hands, right?
0: Yeah, it's a metaphor that goes back at least to Shakespeare if not if not longer for for guilt, for and and, and particularly for guilt relating to people's death. So again, I think this may be transforming her into a character that is more appropriate to be a series lead establishing her need for redemption. And that could be the her ongoing story arc in the section 31 series. You want to talk about some of the individual things we we have seen in her vision, right? There's some kind of pin or maybe it's even a dagger or something halfway in between that has the the symbol of the Terran empire on it.
1: Right. Well, I I, feel, I think we definitely saw the dagger and and perhaps a pin.
0: That we see a dead person in some kind of armor, including a helmet. So we don't know who's in the helmet. And Giorgio fairly loudly says, San, as if it's a name, but I don't know who San is. Now in Japanese, San is a term of respect, but it's never a separate word. You, you add it to someone's name, like Rodney San, that's a term of respect. It's kind of like calling someone Mister, but mm. it can be used with first names as well as as well as last names. And Giorgio has some Japanese long-term heritage, but I don't know. It may be someone's name. It may, who, who knows what that word is? We'll we'll figure it out.
1: Right. We we can only speculate at this point. I, I know though. I did. I'm pretty certain I saw mirror Lorca falling into uh, the ISS Sharon's mycelial son from season one. And we also saw some other uh, scenes from season one of uh, Burnham and Emperor Giorgio in the mirror universe. And I noticed a shot of Harlack (laughs) from season one. That's where the resistance base was that Burnham tried to spare in the mirror universe, but which was then bombarded by Giorgio from the Sharon.
0: So we have to ask questions, who is this dead person in the helmet and armor? I think there's a chance that it's the mirror Michael Burnham. The scenes are disjointed, but it appears that whoever the dead person is is who Giorgio was calling San or San. You know,
1: And I feel like now that you mention it, I mean, at, at one point, Burnham and Giorgio, they're discussing her episodes, and Burnham, says tells her that that she can trust her and Giorgio says well i once trusted somebody who looked just like you and we see how that turned out so i i wouldn't be surprised if this person in the helmet and the armor armor is mirror burnham for that reason
0: and I'm so wondering if from last week, if the glasses guy is using some kind of mental tricks, maybe he's telepathic or something, and he's using mental tricks to do this to her. I, I, I don't know, that's that's just a guess.
1: Well, I, you know, we never saw the end of her debriefing. So, in, you know, there's a gap there that needs to be filled in. And I find it natural to assume that Kovic the guy with the glasses did something to her that would explain why she's having these episodes. Uh, that seems like a natural inference for me to make anyway.
0: We'll see about that. Still, I think the most important image in, in all of the all of the versions of the flashback is the blood on her hands. Clearly a, a strong metaphor that, that I trust they will explore as we go through additional episodes and flesh out what's really going on here.
1: Yeah, I, I agree completely. Well, so that's episode six. Now next week is episode seven. (laughs) And now this one's entitled Unification Three. And that's interesting uh, because Unification One and Two were next generation episodes that featured Spock trying to unify Vulcan and uh, the Romulan worlds. And it appears that we do see uh, Romulans and Vulcans in the preview of that episode—is that correct, Michael?
0: I think we see Romulans because they—they they have a. There's a Romulan logo that is kind of stylized bird with oh. or bird of prey wings, and we see that on some of the the clothing insignia. We see another person who doesn't have that, and so might be might be a Vulcan. So, so I'm guessing that we're going to see both Romulans and Vulcans, and and we can see, mm. you know, have they become unified over there over 700 years, particularly in the aftermath of the destruction of Romulus, right? You know.
1: Right, right.
0: Did the Vulcan say, you know, hey, we're still here. Come on. Cousins, come over and let's talk. Um, who knows. We'll see about that.
1: 700 years is a long time. A lot yep. can happen. Definitely. definitely. <laughs> In 700 years. So, I'm yeah, I'm really looking forward to this next episode. But um, that just about does it for this week. And we'd like to thank you for joining us. Now, the Star Trek Academy podcast does episodes about every new Star Trek episode of every series. And you can find new episodes at the Star Trek Academy And that site also has links to several platforms for your podcast app. So for now, we'll see you next week for the episode entitled Unification 3.